Oh, I've had a really stiff neck all day, so this constant pain has put me in quite a bad mood. Mm. So you are in for a treat tonight. So you are going to be your salty self. Salty self? Salty... Salty Edwin? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I can tell already, so... Let's get this over with. So Sam, we haven't heard from Ninja of the Week for a while. What's happening there? So it's been a while since I've been able to actually sit down and draw something. I've been working on some different things. One is I've started to work out. So workout time versus ninja drawing time versus child care. Mm, you know, it's yeah. like one of those pick two things. Well, that's fine. We are all very forgiving on this show, so I accept your failings in life, Sam, <laughs> as I hope you will accept mine. <laughs> Is it? Does this have to do with To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes, it does. But I think we can talk about it anyway. It's okay. Are we putting a pause on Ninja of the Week for now? Is he going to come back soon? It is going to come back soon, yes. I Now the creative juices have now, you know, replenished. The tank is now full, and now I'm, I'm ready to go. Nice. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Let's get to the book club. Should we do the book club? Book club. Bing. We've been reading, some of us more successfully than others, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I have once again failed. Hmm. I'm about halfway through. Halfway. Yeah, right. I was, yeah, dude. Uh, it's not working for me. Um, I'm wondering if we should maybe just pause book club for a little bit. No, never. Because something, <laughs> something, something's wrong here. Like maybe I'm just no good at reading books. All this book reading. Maybe you should listen to books. Uh, I can't listen to books either. That's just, that's too irritating. So should we talk about To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, let's do it. Because yeah, <laughs> I have actually chosen the next book club book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously ridiculous yeah so to kill a mockingbird obviously if you haven't heard of it it is a book by harper lee or is it lee harper harper lee harper lee yes. um and the setting of the book is set in the 1930s in alabama i believe it is in a town yes. called macon alabama and it focuses from a first-person recollection of a young lady by goes by the name of Jean Louise Finch, uh, mm. a.k.a. Scout. She is accompanied by her brother, Jem, and they live in a single-family home. And the father is Atticus Finch, who is the town's lawyer. Mm. Um, so the town is a quiet little rural-ish town. That is black people and white people. I guess working class. Kind working of class, yeah. yeah. So uh, kind of to the poorer side. It was during the hard times of the 1930s. The book has a couple of different phases that I think can, can go through. Um, initially, it's sort of like a big half section of the, the first half of the book is set up, essentially telling like the family mm. dynamics, you know, what they do from day to day what the family does from day to day, how Scout and Jem goes around, goes to school, what the school is like, and their interaction with their father, who is a lawyer. The third quarter of the book is probably one of the most interesting parts. It is a, a trial section mm. of one of the people that Atticus Finch is defending. Um, right. And this is the part I did not get to. Yes. And this, I would say, is probably the main 
section that really came alive for me. Um, mm. This section is where uh, Atticus Finch is defending a black person with rape allegations against a white woman. Yeah, like that first that first section because he's divided into parts. Mm-hmm. Isn't? Yeah, like that first section is like 150, 160 pages. I guess maybe that's what slowed me down, perhaps a little bit. Right. Hindsight. And then the last section is sort of the the third act, like what happens after the trial, and a little bit of a wrap up with some more exciting events that happen. So, I'm pretty sure we don't necessarily need to put spoiler warnings for this book, since it is a classic. A 60-year-old book. Right. So, should I tell you what happens throughout the book? Uh, well, I did read the cliff notes. Okay. So, I came, I came slightly prepared. Great. Should we do a 3x3? Three three? Let's do the 3x3. Three three. Did you read it as a young person you know i realized that after after sort of listening to it i i don't i haven't read it i thought i did but i did not you think that's because do you think if you had grown up in the states around that age you it is more required reading or more likely that you would have read it i think for some of my classes and like when i went to school it was actually one of the core Mm. uh, books to read but for some reason like my class didn't read this book uh okay yeah. But I know like a lot of my other classmates or like the classes above or the classes below have read this book. Right. Maybe they like rotate the books on mm-hmm. a yearly basis and you your year missed it or for whatever reason. Yeah, something like that. Gotcha. Like we yeah. did read a lot of classics, but this was not one of them. I really liked it when I was reading it. So let me go through some of the good points. Yeah. Uh, one, very uh, contemporary. Hmm. Even though this was written in the 60s, I think. 60s or 70s. Yeah. Well, which is kind of depressing. Why is that? <laughs> Well, if it's still if it still feels relevant, like really we haven't come very far in these sixty years. Well, it's also not talking about the sixties, right? It was talking about the thirties, which is even more depressing. Mm. Right? This was recollecting <laughs> right. events from the thirties. Right. It was like eighty years ago. But like I was more talking about like how it's written. Um, right, that's true. The some of the language that's used and some of the themes that's used, it's very contemporary. Like the main the main thing about the trial are like rape allegations between a black man and a white woman and it's you know very surprising uh how so much of that is still absolutely relevant and how relevant you know the main sort of character's father Atticus Finch his attitude towards uh black people is just especially now it's uh yeah. it strikes such a chord um with what's going on that was totally surprising to me, and mm-hmm. you kind of ex- you're half expecting it to be kind of littered with old timey language. Exactly, and you'd be like oh, that's so quaint, or like what the hell does that mean? Right, and I thought like I wouldn't be able to relate to it to a certain degree. Like the initial part is kind of slow, so I thought the rest of the book would kind of be like that. But yeah, very surprising. And for some reason, whenever I saw the cover of this book and the way that the fonts were written, I always thought <laughs> it was set in Asia. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because it'd be like silhouettes of trees and yeah. like cursive writing. The kind of cursive writing. And then sometimes it'd be like a mockingbird in a cage, right? Mm. And that to me, for some reason, it was like a bird in a cage set in China or something like that. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, another interesting fact is that Harper Lee has, had, uh, has forbidden any kind of introductions to be written mm. in any of the published versions. Like, I think if you were to read many of the classics now, mm. you would get, like, introduction by so-and-so, right. and you would get, like, these 
few pages of bullshit that you have to skip over where you're like, such an influential book written in blah, blah, blah. Yep. Uh, and I believe that she has, yes, forbidden publishers to add introductions to the book, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of awesome. She's like, nope, fuck you guys. This book stands alone. Yep. Don't need no introduction. So I thought that was kind of awesome. Good for you, Harper Lee. Yeah, but another unfortunate news is that she actually died earlier this year. Ah, right. Did we? Did you manage to look into the Go Set to Watchmen? No controversy that we were meant to look into. Right. Oh, okay. So I heard a couple of things. Uh, okay. I didn't actually read through like what it is, but it was a, apparently an unsanctioned sequel that Harper Lee was sitting on. Oh, okay. That didn't want it to be published. Um, because oh, she just felt shit. like it wasn't good enough or like lived up to mm. what To Kill a Mockingbird was, and understandably so. So for context, she didn't publish anything after or didn't really mm-hmm. write or get involved in public life at all after yep. To Kill a Mockingbird was published? And apparently she was a bit of a hermit. Right. She became Boo Radley. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, on that opening part, you mentioned it was kind of slow. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I think I would agree, but I, the impression that I get is that it's definitely worth it in the context of the whole book. It because is. Because then you go back and you kind of realize what that introduction was doing. Yep. And you're like, oh, fuck, that's really awesome. But the first time around is a bit of a slog. Right. Uh, I think it gets more rewarding with subsequent readings. Yep. I'm reminded of um, The Life of Pi by Jan Martel. Mm-hmm. I've never watched the movie. I've heard terrible things about it, so don't watch that. <laughs> but the book is amazing. But yeah, those first hundred pages, for the first time you read it, you're like, what the hell is this? This is just all nonsense and just unrelated, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then once you finish the book, you're, you go re- you reread the beginning again. You're like, oh shit, this is amazing. Huh. But it's tough that first time through. Yeah. So I sort of got the impression that this was... So it was a little different. Yeah, it was a little different when it was read. I'd say you're probably able to pick up some of the themes earlier on, especially with like the connection of Boo Radley uh, and what's going on with the tree and stuff like that. So that connection is more noticeable in the Mm. audio version. Um, But it was still kind of slow. But I thought that was mainly as a, you know, it's, it's a slow town, it's a sleepy town. And it's, it sort of sets it up nicely of, the middle half to the end of the book. Yeah, I think the other thing I liked, I mean, it is told from uh, from Scout's perspective, mm-hmm. but what you, but I do like how how little of Atticus's life and like what's going on around them doesn't really filter down to them. Yeah, like you get little snippets of things happening. Yeah, but the kids don't have that context for why that is or what it means, uh, and then that kind of gets built upon in the, like the later stages of the book. Which is very skillfully done, I thought. And the narrative is very its very interesting because it's a recollection of an older scout talking about her former days, mm. which sort of sets things into perspective. And sometimes you get a sense of like, like, I didn't know it then, but this was happening, right? Like that I would find out later. And, you know, the narrator would mention stuff like that, which mm. I think is such a clever way of like telling the story from such an interesting perspective. There are, yeah, there are, there are moments of like genuine excitement and intrigue, like mm-hmm. when they, when a mad, when a rabid dog walks into the town. Yeah, there's this several pages of you know people in the town, you know, freaking right. out, freaking out. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, and you're like, oh shit, what the fuck is this? And it's really crazy because like the way the dog is initially described, it was <laughs> yes. so suspensefully done. It was like it was yeah. kind of like a zombie moment, right? Right. I was like, shit, is this gonna turn into Walking Dead? <laughs> and the thing that tripped me up as well is that the dog has a full name. It's like yeah. Tom Williamson or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I skipped the part where he described said Tom Williamson was a liver colored dog. Because then right. I was like, wait, is that a human? Are they just, <laughs> what? <laughs> I had to go back and read it. I was like, oh, wait, I missed that little paragraph where it actually yep. said, no, this dog has a first name and a last name, <laughs> which is amazing. I think I'm now going to get a dog and like, give him a full name <laughs> Hamilton Brown. There you go, perfect. But yeah, that was like really, yeah, genuinely suspenseful and like, oh shit, what's going on here? Right. Yeah, it had some really good moments like that. Um, and there are, there are definitely a lot more, especially during the trial and then afterwards, where there's, there's like real contemporary excitement that you can tell a lot of modern day storytelling got a lot from this book. Mm. You know, John Grisham court dramas, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, even... Even the exciting court drama of My Cousin Vinny, I would say, <laughs> probably took a lot from These uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, exactly. Like the way they cross-examined the witness. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yep. I wonder if A Time to Kill, perhaps uh, John Grisham owes a debt to uh I'm sure. that. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, is that almost the same story, but without the children? Almost. And I would also say, like, Sling Blade? Is essentially Boo Radley. Oh shit! Who who what who's Slingblade? Billy Bob Thornton. Oh okay. He stays with like a family. He's slow. He's mentally handicapped. And uh, Slingblade, aka Billy Bob Thornton, is very capable of all human emotions. And then at the end of it, he sacrifices his freedom to to kill this guy that's pestering. The family, because he loves the family, and it's very touching. But yeah, that's essentially hmm. what happens in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. What What other good points are there for this book? Yeah, I think the the themes of racism and all nope. of that is very. What's the word that I'm looking for? Fitting, still applies. Right. Sadly, yeah. Surprising. Very like well dealt with as well, like well handled. Yeah. Seems very genuine. I don't know. It doesn't seem... I think in another author's hands, this could have been seen as... Or could have been done in a very heavy-handed manner, you know? Like, you're really, like, bludgeoned over the head with the message. I'm amazed at how Atticus Finch's attitude towards racism is essentially how we would apply Mm. those values today to to be a non-racist, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. You think, oh, wow, the 50s and 60s, racism was endemic. And that's perhaps the image that we get from that time. But then, you know, books like this, you go, actually, that perhaps was not true. And people were going, uh, this is kind of fucked up. This is not right. Right, which, which makes me think, like, was, was that sense of good or, like, properness in this book at that time, like, was that considered by some people, like too much you know like right too progressive at the time yeah because i would say that there has been a general shift of well not according to like the latest news but there's more acceptance right generally or that is the perceived notion 
from you now. Hope. Yes, yeah. you, we, there have been improvements, and there's still a shit ton of a long way to go. But yes, yep. you hope and pray that there have things have got slightly better. Yeah, mm-hmm. but to to see that values like this still existed back in the sixties is pretty was pretty amazing. It was remarkable. Yeah, agreed totally. The book was quite waterproof as well because I <laughs> left it outside. <laughs> oh, like physically, literally yes. waterproof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant like it's covered all the angles. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, it's like a watertight kind of yeah. Game. Right. <laughs> like uh, you know, when you're prosecuting someone, it's a watertight yes. case, right? <laughs> Should we go into the bad points? Yeah, I'm not sure I have many. I don't have a lot. It was just very uncomfortable for me to hear the N word so many times. True. I suppose, and again, reading it, you guess you kind of skip over it. It's not quite so present. Right. When hearing it, it's like completely different because you actually hear it with a couple of different voices. So another thing is towards the end of the book or end of the way Sissy Spacek narrates this in <laughs> Audible, <laughs> she actually gets into the voices a little bit better. And oh, so you can, tell, you, can, you can tell a little bit of differentiation between the characters. But when she does scout, it does sound like a little girl. And mm. to hear a little girl say the N word is not nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on my based on my limited experience, I have nothing bad to say. I mean, I think we kind of touched on the first section, the first part of the book, perhaps mm-hmm. being a bit slow. But I think that's just my impatience. Not too many. Yeah, not too many bad points for me. Um, I'd say another good point is like some of the descriptions that are used are were. I had to like stop myself because it was like such a good description of certain things. Mm. I should have taken some notes of it, but should have made a clip, an audible clip of this. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, some of the descriptions like really like that is such a clever way of describing something because you never really hear descriptions like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is being described by what you perceive is a recollection of a, you know, of a then eight year old or something like that. Mm. which is also very interesting but yeah lots of really good words in this book (laughs) it's kind of stupid thing to say there are lots of good words in this book edwin (laughs) that's gonna be the pull quote on the cover (laughs) sam wu says lots of good words um so yeah my my future action is to actually finish this damn book because i i I wanted to but i'm just very bad at managing my book time so yeah it's you should because it's i really i really enjoyed it and i would highly recommend anyone who hasn't read this as a good like you know it's a good beach read yeah just like going back to the classics if you have because you know this is like a slow artsy movie yeah it's yeah it's i mean it's a classic but it's it's still very readable it's i think as we'd were perhaps surprised about like it doesn't feel old-fashioned or difficult to understand what's happening or all wrapped in arcane language like that's really not the case at all like it's right. super contemporary and very well written yeah i can totally understand why this is such a huge and well-loved book a pulitzer prize-winning book well there you go so what would you give it out of five stars i mean well oh yeah I mean, let's let's revisit re- that after you've read it okay yeah and also, I mean, it's a classic. Can yeah. I not give it? Can I give it any less than five stars? I'm not sure I <laughs> <Yeah>. could. <laughs> That's true. Like, 
Yeah, I would I would hesitate to even give it like a four star. I for me, yeah, <laughs> it just hits on so many different levels. Like it's five out of five for me. Mm. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, that seems a little bit um, <laughs> arrogant to say. Yeah, right. You know, this is like a known classic and a well loved book to say. Oh yeah, I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Oh. <laughs> Charles would... Dickens, like this is quite good, but I think I could do better. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try and finish this up because I want to. What is the future of the book club, Sam? Should we, should we soldier on? Well, I have one suggestion. Okay. We can take it or leave it. I still want to follow the two-week timeline. How about if we read our own thing that we're interested in? Oh, and we could like do a book report for each other? Yes, kind of. Yeah, okay. Oh, God. I swear to God, Sam, though, if you read a Brian Sanderson book. I mean, <laughs> what's his name? Oh, Brand- Brandon Sanderson? Brandon Sanderson, right. No, that's, there's nothing wrong with Brandon Sanderson books. You don't want me to read that stupid <laughs> sci-fi paranormal book. Oh, right. That was the other one. Um, oh, geez. How quickly we forget the books we've read. <laughs> well, I know which book I'm going to read next because I actually have already ordered it and it arrived today. Should I reveal it now or not? Yes, I'm going to reveal my book. Okay. Perhaps if I reveal my book, you'll want to read it as well, and you'll just read that instead. We'll Mm. see. But um, I shall read Fluency by Jennifer Foner-Wells. Is that a real name? Um, looks like it. I may be butchering that middle name. Uh, It's F-O-E-H-N-E-R. Kind of a cool name. Uh, NASA discovered an alien ship lurking in the asteroid belt in the 1960s. They kept the target, capital T, under intense surveillance for decades, letting the public believe they were exploring the solar system, while they worked feverishly to refine the technology needed to reach it. Huh. The ship itself remained silent, drifting. So, so why this book? So this was tweeted, or rather, so I think this is the first in a series, and the um, I think one of the newer books has just come out, and um, Brianna Wu tweeted about this. Mm-hmm. Um, she of giant space cats fame indie game developer sadly the brunt of a lot of gamer gates bullshit she has a great podcast called rocket that she does with christina warren and uh simone de rochefort which i highly recommend checking out like hearing not men talk about technology is fantastic um Mm. frankly refreshing so check that out that's a weekly thing they do um it's also nice because i think we may have talked about it before but like it's not all apple focused as well they will definitely dive into windows and android um Mm -hmm. google gaming stuff like that so it's not just totally apple focused which is certainly something i find myself kind of going down the road of just listening to apple tech shows so yeah this is kind of cool so yeah definitely worth checking out but yeah she tweeted about uh, the one of the new books that came out and i was like huh let's check that out because i think this is good it has like a strong female lead that is also vulnerable and flawed uh which again you don't get too often in the sci-fi genre so I was like, oh shit, I want to check this out. And it comes in at a manageable 377 pages. Hmm. Who knows, I might actually be able to finish this. Uh, So yeah, that is what I shall be reading. So Sam, what Kindle book, I mean, what Audible book can I gift you? This is not an Audible book for me, actually. This is a real paperback. Damn, okay. That I actually had for some time that I've been planning to read. It It is indie game related. Wow. It is um it's it's called Spelunky. 
by Ooh. Boss Fight Books. And it is the recollection of how Derek Yu, the guy who made Spelunky, which is a hit video, hit indie game, video game. And he just essentially tells his story of how he created Spelunky and ultimately like how it became like the game of the year on a lot of different gaming sites. Cool. Even um, I've heard of this. So mm-hmm. there you go. You've heard of the game. Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Something to do with an eggplant as well, right? Right. So the eggplant comes into play because it is one of the items that you can carry, mm-hmm. um, but it's very delicate. As all eggplants are. <laughs> right. If you, <laughs> this guy apparently did a speed run of the game holding an eggplant, holding the eggplant in the game. <laughs> and hopefully in real life as well. <laughs> <laughs> that would be super impressive. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps we should perhaps we should read each other's books after for like the following time we could switch books. Mm. And then we can criticize each other's reviews and opinions. There you go. I'm down for that. All right. We'll see. But also the book is I guess it's like the, the book is called Fluency. Mm-hmm. And it's Confluence book 1. Oh god. Right. The word confluence just drives like it drives chills up my spine. Yes, if you have never had to work with Atlassian software, <laughs> uh, consider yourself incredibly lucky. I do have a little uh, BuzzFeed Corner update. Do you know what new fronts are? Kind of. Shall I try and explain what I think it is, and then you can try and correct me, and then we can both look foolish when we find out next week that it was not actually what it is. Well, you can try explain what it is, and then I can try to explain what it is, because I don't really know what it is. Okay. It's almost like a, I don't know, a press conference where advertising agencies reveal or talk about the shit they're going to be doing in the next year. Yes. I think okay. in a very simple, simple fashion. So I know Gimlet revealed some new show, like five new shows at something called a New Fronts at, in Brooklyn at some point. Yes. It is the New Fronts, usually, with the plural. Yeah, so I was like, where does the S go? Is it News Front? New Fronts? Is it News Fronts? It's, it's New Fronts. And I think people just call it the Fronts, like Fronts. Really right. Like a British person saying France. <laughs> fronts. Fronts. Fro- France. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So maybe we do know. Yes, we, oh. we know more than we know. Wait, no. They call it the Upfronts. So what's the difference between upfronts versus new fronts? Is maybe new front like online video and then the upfronts is like traditional video? Because I know upfronts are used for like NBC and CBS. It's essentially their new lineup of TV shows. And what Mm. the upfronts entail advertisers to do is they see the shows that are coming out and that's when they book their advertising money for certain networks so they know like the new season of lost is coming out then they'll be like okay we're gonna we're gonna secure like a partnership with uh nbc or abc whichever channel lost was on yeah because we know that's uh, gonna be a really popular show or they get a glimpse of how popular show might be and they they get a sense of like what the audience is and so then like if it's like for the cw then it's gonna be taco bell spending their money because a lot of the shows have like a similar demographics of people that would go to Taco Bell. <laughs> right. And if it is the Sci-Fi Channel, then it will be for idiots. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a new, a new Fronts 
whatever that might be, which we think is just like an advertising, an advertising press conference where they reveal some like new advertising ideas and shit, I think. And we will revisit this in the corrections next week once we've actually done our research. So there was an article on Tube Filter and uh, the Try Guys, one of our one of our favorites from BuzzFeed, uh-huh. uh, did a uh, <laughs> actually kind of an in- interesting uh, format for an interview, which was them all editing a Google Doc together, and then that becoming the uh, the interview that gets transcribed into the <laughs> into the article. So that's actually kind of kind of fun. Oh, that's interesting. So they were chatting about what is kind of coming down. What are the future plans for the Try Guys and advertising? And, you know, we'd been chatting before about what an interesting company BuzzFeed is in its approach to advertising, about, you know, it learns how virality works through its original productions and then partners with brands to then make videos to try and do a similar thing for those, those brands' videos to then become viral. And it basically seems that uh, the Try Guys are going to start doing more of this and trying to work more with brands because they build up this huge audience. I guess that's how it works, right? You build up a huge audience mm-hmm. and then you sell to that audience yep. and you make money. So, yeah, if you share my obsession with BuzzFeed, and I would understand if you don't, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Um, kind of a fun fun read. So that's really interesting that they're taking a kind of pseudo-traditional approach to advertising and what normal television networks do. Oh, with 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 regard to like product placement? Yep. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, in fact, they did release some videos in association with The Shallows, which was a movie mm-hmm. coming out on Sony Pictures a few weeks ago. So I think they released like three videos in mm. the week with, with the run-up to the release. So that was interesting. Build an audience and then sell to it. Yep. The, and that is what we can do with this show. Exactly. I can't wait. Soon. Casper is a <laughs> is an obsessively engineered mattress designed with just the right sink and just the right bounce. There are about ten mattress companies now. Mm. Have you seen the ads for Sleepies now on the subway with a rather desperate sound sounding slogan to them, which is something <laughs> like "One bed isn't right for everyone." Uh, or something, it's something like really lame like that. That's like obviously taking a pop at Casper and all these people. Oh no! Trying to be like, no, you do need to try out twenty different mattresses for five seconds each in our store. Please come and try all these mattresses. Oh man, that's disruption. That's uh... yeah, right. They are blockbuster. Although uh, Ben Thompson from Exponent would remind us that disruption has a very technical economic meaning mm-hmm. there's a specific economic principle that disruption actually means but... ah, i see so i guess it's i mean if you try to think about what a disruption would mean from an economic standpoint it probably has to do with either a disruption and someone else's supply and demand maybe <sighs> yeah it's something like providing the service at a cheaper right price point um and blah 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 yep and something else as well. There's like there's yeah these this quite specific definition of right, which is why technically it would be called a disruption. Like it's not like you know a mental disruption to the people like wake up people like this is a disruption sort of deal. I can see it from like a supply chain sort of perspective where it is a disruption into like someone else's business apparently. Yes, yes, it's like disrupting other people's business, but that isn't necessarily a disruptive startup idea, which I think as is certain thing which i will go and research and then talk about slightly more knowledgeably next week so look forward to that so yay try guys selling out Mm -hmm. which was always the plan i imagine right Uh, yeah huh 
How do you feel about this? I feel it's inevitable, right? I, I mean, I don't think we were ever under any uh, delusion that BuzzFeed was you know, just making original content because it loves content. <laughs> right. You know, because it just really wants to tell stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was always uh, out to make money and just making original content doesn't necessarily make money, especially, mm-hmm. you know, even if you do put some ads on YouTube, like the actual finances of that, as I understand it, are pretty dreadful. So, yeah, not necessarily, not, not particularly surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, and looking at the at the branded content they did for The Shallows, that was still entertaining. Yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that at all. Not yet. Um, yeah, there's like three, instead of three videos, there's all kind of maritime related so the first first one is they try and they just eat some gross shit that you would have to if you were stranded at sea mm. <laughs> second one is they oh what the fuck is it oh they get stranded at sea so they spend like six <laughs> hours on a, a little lifeboat and then the third one they go and swim with sharks so yeah it's it's still entertaining yeah it is creative meaning like there's some relation to the thing that they're sponsoring or being sponsored yes. by yeah but at the same time, like, it's going to get harder and harder for them. It's not scalable. That's what I'm saying. Right. There's, there's only so many videos they can make in a year. And there's only so much branded content, potentially, that a, you know, an audience will accept. Mm-hmm. And plus, they're, they're, it, this is sort of like a one-shot deal because up until now, it was, it was sort of building up the personalities of these people, right? The Try Guys. Right. And yeah. it's it's become, uh, I mean, they've they've amassed this audience, and that was not a small undertaking. That was a lot of hard work for these four guys to to build up this audience and get to know them, and have the audience get to know them. And then now it's sort yeah. of it, quote unquote to use a bad metaphor, they're blowing their load <laughs> on advertising content that they can probably do for a short amount of time until either the volume at which they have to do it is either too much for them to handle, in which case they'll probably have to get new try guys or a new vertical, right? In mm. which case, then they would have to amass their own audience, which is difficult. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could probably argue that it's easier to build an audience once you are within the BuzzFeed brand. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think branded podcasts perhaps face the same problem as well. Like They are blowing up right now. You know, Gimlet's Creative is an arm of Gimlet Media that's launched to make podcasts for brands, and they just launched... Um, ah, crap. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a show for eBay. Hmm. Anyway, that is our branded content corner. Huh. The B- BCC, if you will. Another little segment. <laughs> Another segment. You didn't, eat, you didn't eat a turtle's pizza, did you? I didn't. I wish. <laughs> That would have been amazing. So true. <laughs>